Uh, several years ago, I felt the call of God in my life and my family's life uh, to leave Kingsport, Tennessee, and to come to Hagerstown and to plant a church. And that's a long story. And if you don't know that story, I'd love to share it with you. It's, it's, a, it's a wild ride. Uh, it's, a, it's a story of God's kindness and faithfulness to us. And even in, as we walked in, uh, in uh, darkness, not knowing what the, the future would hold. But as I began to uh, just do some research on the city of Hagerstown, having grown up here, but having been gone a long time, I was just doing some research. What, what, what's the state of the, the church in Hagerstown? And I remember um, working with, uh, actually with Brett, and we we were just thumbing through and looking at websites and listening to sermons. And I remember coming across uh, the, uh, the sermon series in Ephesians by our brother, uh, Jerry Cooper, at Virginia Avenue Baptist Church. And at the same time, just feeling, uh, and there's such a darkness in the city, but at the same time, recognizing that God had a, a faithful remnant of a gospel declaration going on in this city. And, and I was so encouraged listening to, I, I think, I can't remember what, uh, which, what sermon I listened to, but I think it was in chapter two or three that I listened to and thought, man, this guy is faithful to to, to God's word. He's, he's like what we want to be. And so um, we, we said from the beginning uh, of planting Hagerstown Church, we weren't bringing the gospel to Hagerstown, but we were coming as reinforcements. Um, and uh, I can say that uh, as we've joined the ranks of the faithful here in Hagerstown, it's been a joy of mine to get to know uh, Jerry Cooper and his precious wife, Barbara. Uh, I've seen uh, Jerry and Barb uh, be faithful to the Lord in the good times. I've seen them be faithful to the Lord in difficult times. And when I think of Jerry and Barb, I just think of faithfulness. I think of love for God's word. And, uh, and that's why Pastor Chris and myself have uh, asked this brother um, to come and to open God's word. So Jerry, would you come? Uh, Jerry's been uh, a dear friend of mine. Uh, I don't think he's old enough to be my father, but uh, he, he's certainly uh, old enough to be a brother, and he has been that to me. And so would you uh, just give him a welcome and, uh, as he comes and opens God's word? Jerry. Thank you, Thank you, too. I thank Josh and Chris and Brett for inviting me to come. It's really a wonderful thing. We've been keeping your church in our prayers for years and are so thankful that God brought you here and, and planted this wonderful church. I want to really zero and focus in on perhaps one of the most important commands that Jesus ever gave when he had risen from the dead just before he ascended into heaven, he said these words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't, I don't think I put all that on the scripture verses that I gave, Brett. Just go and make disciples of all nations. This is not only a missionary command, and it is a missionary command, and, and we pray for missionaries just like you do, and I think that's absolutely wonderful, but it's also a, a church command, and that every church ought to examine themselves periodically and say, are we really making disciples? Because you know it's just possible to show up and have people that show up and are not, not really disciples of Jesus Christ. So that begs the question, what is a disciple? What did Jesus say a disciple is? And also, we need to ask ourselves, each of us individually, I can't see inside your, your brain or your heart, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? And we're going to look at Bible verses that Jesus said about what a disciple is and try to understand them and figure out what 
a disciple is. First, you need to understand that the word disciple is used 262 times, all in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And that all the followers of Jesus Christ, all the people who heard the gospel and repented and believed were called disciples. Now, there were other kinds of disciples, like John the Baptist had some disciples. But the vast majority of the disciples, when it's mentioned in the New Testament, were followers of Jesus Christ. And here's a verse in Acts eleven twenty six. This is when Barnabas found Saul right after his conversion, and he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now the word Christian only appears twice in the book of Acts. The word disciple appears 28 times. And the people who were calling the disciples Christians were unbelievers. They looked at them and they said, oh, they're Christians. It wasn't necessarily a complimentary name given to them as far as the unbelievers were concerned. The only other time when it appears is when Agrippa said to Paul, oh, if I give you enough time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian. But the people who repented and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ were disciples. And when Luke wrote the book of Acts, the human author Luke, he would have certainly had in mind, and all the, all the apostles would have had in mind, what Jesus taught about being his disciple. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't expect God to put a plastic protective bubble around you and save you from hardship and pain and tribulation. In this context, Paul had been stoned in one city, and he returned to the city where he had been stoned. And he's telling the disciples, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, what is a disciple? And are you a disciple? That's sort of like backdrop introductory kind of ideas. Jesus gave four, four qualities or requirements for being a disciple. And we're going to jump around just a little bit. In John's gospel, in John 8, 30 through 32, it says, as he was saying these things, and you can read back into the context, Jesus was in the temple in Jerusalem, and there were Pharisees and probably scribes and uh, other kinds of Jews there. Many believed in him. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, if you read lightly without reflection, you might think, wow, they were saved. But you need to understand that the devil believes in Jesus Christ. He believes that he died on the cross for people's sins and that he rose again from the dead. There is a kind of belief that is very, very shallow. And so Jesus said these words to those Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
free from what? He said, if you continue in sin, you're slaves of sin. But if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. They, he was saying the word and continuing in it helps you to know the truth and set you free from sin. So the first requirement of being a disciple is to abide in his word. To abide means to, say, to stay, to remain. And this, what does that mean practically? It means you read your Bible, you study your Bible, you listen to Bible teaching, Now, what this church is all about? Look at the front of here. The word matters here. And so, first of all, God would want you and me to examine ourselves and saying to ourselves, am I abiding in his word? Am I a a Bible reading, Bible studying kind of person? And, And let me just say at this point, says we're all in process in other words, we can, we can do more, right? Couldn't you read your Bible more this week? You could, couldn't you? And so there's a growth process in being a disciple. Well, the first requirement or qualification for being a disciple is his relationship to the Word of God. And God wants, Jesus wants you and me to make a great commitment to the Word of God. And you already have a commitment, but perhaps you can notch it up a little bit. Okay. Second, in this very same passage in John eight thirty seven, he said, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. These Jews would seek to kill Jesus, the ones that had believed in him. And Jesus would say, you are of your father, the devil. It's amazing. There is, let it sink in deeply. There is a kind of belief that does not save. It's shallow. And it will not abide in the word. The word of Jesus won't be meaningful and important and essential in the, in the life of the person. And that's the, these kind of people who believed in Jesus. And they wanted to kill Jesus. Okay, so that's the first one. A disciple of Jesus Christ depends upon, studies, values, seeks the word of God. Second one. And in this next passage, and Josh gave a, a wonderful meditation in the last men's breakfast that I attended with him about expository listeners. I, I sort of want to ask the question, how many of you actually read the passage as expository listeners this past week? I think it was in the bulletin last Sunday. Anybody? All right. <laughs> Well, I urge you to start being expository listeners and, and reading ahead of time the passages that Josh gives you as he prepares to preach them. That's, that will help you. It'll, it'll cause questions to crop into your mind. I wonder what that means. And in this passage, it's probably called one of those difficult passages in the Bible because Jesus uses some figures of speech. Now, the Bible is not always literally true is sometimes he would use figures. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. Did Jesus have hinges? (laughs) No, he was not a literal gate, okay? So it's a figure of speech. 
And so we run into them in this passage. I'm going to read it, and we're going to just draw three more requirements or, or qualifications or commitments of people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Luke 14, 25 through 26. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and I think this is important, he's speaking to crowds. He's not speaking to the twelve. He's speaking to a, a great crowd of people. And I imagine there were some in the crowd thought, well, I think I want to be one of his disciples. And so he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So what I do and when I come across a hard word is this, I wonder if they mistranslated that. I think I'll look up the word hate. Guess what the Greek word hate means? <laughs> hate. <laughs> and I think, what? This doesn't make sense. Jesus is all about love. He wants, us to, he wants husbands to love their wives. He even wants his disciples to love their enemies. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So what did he mean by hate? This is a figure of speech which means you love less than someone else. For example, in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him discipline is diligent to discipline him. Now that doesn't mean there are some parents, I mean I mean I know some of little kids. They never want to discipline their kids. They let their kids get away with things without holding them accountable. And he's saying a higher kind of love than that is a is a parent who will discipline their kids. That's what he's saying. And so it's a figure of speech for not loving to the height or the, the plane that they should love of a person who would hold their kids accountable. I'm just giving you a little background on this figure of speech. So, Jesus said this earlier, and it ought to influence our understanding of what he means here. He said in Matthew 10:37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What does that mean? Quite simply, you, you know, you line up your kids, somebody's back in the nursery and maybe they have their kid back there and all the other kids, and you, if you were to really get the nursery worker or the Sunday school teacher or the person there to be honest and say, which kid do you love the most? What will they say? Their kid, right? They say, oh, I love all the kids, but I love my kid the most. And Jesus wants to be the highest love in your life and in my life. He is saying, if you want to be my disciple, love me more than you love everybody else on planet Earth. That's what he's saying. So the second requirement 
of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that you love Jesus more than you love anybody else. And let me tell you what happens when you do that. Husbands love their wives more. Fathers love their children more. Women and men love other people more when they love Jesus Christ above all others. He just works that in your life. You say, why would you love Jesus more than anybody else? Did you hear the words of the song, Glorious? There is no more glorious person in the universe than Jesus Christ. And we ought to love him more than anyone else because he's the most perfect one in the world to love in every way. He's the most lovable person in the world to love. So he's saying, if you want to be my disciples, you can be lots of things. You can go to church and not really love Jesus supremely. So that's the second one. The first one is the word of God. The second one is loving Jesus Christ. And this is an inside thing, mostly. Mostly. I mean, if you look at a person long enough, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it becomes on the outside after a while. So the second thing he says Oh, I, I left out a verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. That's a sobering passage. And so, what do you do? You say, man, I could love Jesus more. Do you ever think that? Couldn't you love Jesus more? I know I could. And so, I pray, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. I need God to do a work on my heart to love him more. And you, we all do. And so we ought to pray, Lord, direct my heart to love you more. Okay, so the next thing in the same passage, Luke 14. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is he saying here? Well, the cross was a Roman form of execution, Jews would stone people to death. When you broke Roman law, they would crucify you. And what they would do is they would pass judgment and they would, they would get you to carry your cross outside the city where they would put the cross up and, and nail you to the cross to die. And so it wasn't particularly painful or hard to carry your cross unless you had been beaten to a pulp like Jesus was by the scourge. Remember they got Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross? The real hard part was of, cru of crucifixion was when you were nailed to the cross and dying on the cross. Well, so what does he mean by this? If I were a Jew and had broken Roman law, and they condemned me to death, and I was to be crucified, and they would say, carry your cross, and I knew in the back of my mind that the cross was going outside the city, and they would nail me to it, and I would suffer for hours on end. I'd say, nope, not gonna do it. Kill me. Stab me in the chest with your sword. You can't force somebody to carry a cross. And the Roman soldier would lead the way. So what is, what is this metaphor, what does this figure of speech mean? It means you deny yourself 
and you submit to the authority that you've been in rebellion against. Jesus said this earlier in Luke's gospel. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Notice the word daily. This, Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, every single day you wake up and you say, I don't want to do what I want to do today. I want your will to be done, Lord. I'll follow you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. And you lose your life for him. You, you take it out of your hands and you give it over to him. That's what he's calling us to do if we want to be his disciple. And so then in the next part of the passage, he, he gives, he says, you better think about this. You better really think if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't take it lightly. So he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Of course he will. If he lays a foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. The, the key ideas in this part of Jesus' message to the crowds are, sit down and think, sit down and think, sit down and think. Do you really want to be my disciple? Do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to be involved in me? Then you've got to abide in my word. You've got to love me more than everybody else. And you've got to deny yourself every day and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. And then the last thing that he says, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not give up all that he has cannot be my disciple. Every Saturday night, I manuscript my sermon, and then I send it to my older and wiser brother out in Tucson, Arizona, and he calls me back and tells me corrections to the manuscript and gives me ideas. And he says to me last night, does this mean you sell your house and you sell your cars and your bank accounts and you just give them away so that you have nothing? And I said, Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owns everything? God owns everything. You know, we're just a, here a little time and everything we have we're gonna die someday and hopefully all of us will go to heaven and everything will be left behind it all belongs to God and a disciple of Jesus Christ says Jesus you own it all you've got my bank accounts you've got my cars you've got my tools you've got my recreation things it belongs to you that's what a disciple is so if you're taking notes, did you get the four things? <laughs> a disciple is someone who abides in his word, who makes a great commitment to the word of God and remains in it. Abides means remains. Number two, a disciple loves Jesus Christ above all other people. Number three, a disciple denies himself every single day 
and is, follows Jesus Christ and is willing to do whatever Jesus wants to do. Even if it means suffering, even if it means pain, and we all probably know some people who have followed Jesus Christ with a threat of suffering. I, mean, I think of Jason and Carrie. One last verse. 2 Corinthians, no, that's actually, I got two more verses. <laughs> I'll read it wrong and you see if you can figure out what I read wrong here. He died for all so that they would have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Is that what it says? He died for all so that they might have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Is what I said correct? Yes, it's absolutely correct. But that's not what this text says. You see, Jesus Christ came and died for more than just after we die and be in heaven. He came to change your life here on earth. And so he says, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. In other words, they stop saying, well, what do I want to do? What do I need? What do I want? They're not self-centered, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I think this is a succinct summary statement of that, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He died so that we would start living for him and not for ourselves. For his word in our lives, for his love and worth for his will and following him, and for his ownership of everything that we own. Now, the last thing on the front of this is we're all in process. There are immature disciples, and there are mature disciples. An immature disciple will not make Jesus the highest love of their life as much as a mature disciple. An immature disciple will not abide in the word of God as much as a mature disciple. An immature disciple will not deny himself as much and follow Jesus as a mature disciple. And an immature disciple might every once in a while say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, and I don't want to do, <laughs> and instead of giving it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do with it? Now, all of us are somewhere, and I, I would ask you to reflect on maybe there's one, maybe there's two, maybe there's, there's four places in your life where you can really mature your disciple, be a, a, a more mature disciple of Jesus Christ than you are this morning. It would be a wonderful thing if you would walk out of here and say, I'm going to grow in this area of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we all can grow more, can't we? So which, which area do you need to grow in? Do you need to grow in the Word of God and having it abide in your life? Do you need to grow in loving Jesus Christ more than other people? Do you need to grow in denying yourself every day and following him and doing his will? Or do you need to grow in the area of just letting him own everything and you be a steward of everything? 
Well, let's pray. Pray silently about that for a moment, and then I'll close. Oh, Lord, and Lord Jesus, we pray that we would stop living for ourselves and start living for you. For your word, loving you above all others, denying ourselves and following you, and giving you ownership of all. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.